Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 30th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Jesus Rejected, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. And if you have spent any time trying to get things right on your own, trying to get better on your own, trying to, trying to stop doing things and start doing things on your own. Today is the day that you just need to say, I'm done, God. I can't do it on my own, because you can't. Spend some time every day in the, in the pages of this book and look and see and understand what God has called us to do so that when the enemy throws something at you, you can see it, identify it, and go, no, it is written. Here's what God's word says. There is no victory in us. All victory comes through Jesus Christ. You're gonna walk out of this place. Satan's gonna continue to throw things in front of you. Lure after lure after lure. Are you aware? Are you aware of what he's throwing at you? Revere it, but don't fear it. Don't fear anybody but Jesus Christ and God alone. God has the victory in the end. There's nothing he can throw at you that Jesus can't overcome. Today, of course, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 4. We'll be in verses 16 through 30. As we continue, this uh, section of Luke, as from the beginning, has all been narrative. And so it makes it a little degree of difficulty because there's no commands. There's nothing that you're being told you should do, but you're, you're immersing yourself into the story. Remember, Luke is writing this gospel to Theophilus, and he's making clarity of the earthly ministry of, of Jesus, John the Baptist, and all of those roles. Today's text reminds me of a job interview. And it reminds me of a job interview in this sense, that when we go in for a job interview, there's two people that are being interviewed. You are interviewing them, and they are interviewing you. And as you walk into those particular situations, there are, I find there to be three things in particular that you're looking for if you're going to take a job or take on a responsibility with something. And you're gonna take on this responsibility when you recognize that the company or the organization that you're interviewing with, in fact, are good at what they do. That's really their, the point, is I don't wanna work for a losing team. I don't wanna be a part of a losing team. So the first question that we want answered is, are you good at what you do? The second question that we're after is, can I trust you? Does the leadership of this organization, are they trustworthy? Do they act in a trustworthy manner? And of course, thirdly, this question seems to be daunting to some, but understanding that, do you genuinely care about me as an individual? Are you good at what you do? Can I trust you? And do you genuinely care about me as an individual? It's interesting in this narrative. You have a group of people in Jesus' hometown that are looking for evidence. They're wanting to know. But I want you to understand very clearly here today, don't miss this as we get into the text. Jesus is not actually interviewing for this job. Jesus has actually just declared, I am the Messiah. He's not asking them for their opinion. 
He's not asking or searching from them. But there is possibility that there might be an interview going the other way. Are you good at what you do? Can I in fact trust you? And do you actually genuinely care about me as the Messiah of this world? Listen to the words today in Luke 4, 16 through 30. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, you did in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you just as your humble servants or those who are maybe here today that are seeking to understand who this God is. Who is this Messiah? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts to either bring us to redemption in you or bring us to a place where we are so willingly to serve and follow you as a disciple of Christ that nothing would get in the way of glorifying you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm gonna work through this very systematically in verses 16 and 17, of course, establishes the setting for us. The setting, of course, is that Jesus is in his hometown and he's in his hometown synagogue. And as was the custom, he would go up and they handed him a scroll. In this case, the scroll that he was handed was Isaiah 61. And he searched through Isaiah 61, or the book of Isaiah, and he went to Isaiah 61 and he began to read to them. It's important today that you see these kind of three sections as I'll break it down. Section one is eight, verses 18 and 19, which is the reading of the messianic uh, prophecy. When we understand that the prophecy is what's being uh, uh, communicated here today. 
In verse 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We're gonna look briefly here at this word anointed. Um, And to proclaim the good news to the poor, we'll look at what does he mean by the poor? It's important for us to understand to whom Isaiah 61 was being written, but also the enhancement that Jesus put on this. He kept the main integrity of the words that he was using from the Hebrew, but he wanted to make sure that there was an absolute clarity as to whom the Messiah has come for, as well as proclaim that he is the Messiah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, who are those captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. First of all, the word anointed here, Cairo, is to anoint or to anoint with the Holy Spirit. It's meaning that he has come to bring the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would in fact be upon them, similar to that which we saw earlier when, like a dove, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And God the Father said in this, my son whom I'm well pleased. But this anointment that is, anointment, anointing that is taking place is God accomplishing the task. He is consecrating him. He is setting him aside from all other things. And he is establishing that he is the Messiah anointed with the power of God himself. When he says the poor, It's interesting in this because in the Hebrew, he talks about the lowly. But in the Greek here, what he's saying is not only those who are lowly, but those who are broken, bruised, and even dashed to pieces for those who are shattered. We'll see that later when we get to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the shattered. Blessed are the broken before God, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. We have to ask ourselves, are we that kind of broken? Are we shattered before a holy God? He talks about this proclaimed liberty. This liberty here is not just talking about freedom as it was in the Hebrew, but it's also talking about a pardon, a release, or a cancellation of debt. Jesus is making clear that he came to bring a cancellation of debt. And the captives, the captives are just simply those who are prisoners. Those who are imprisoned like you and I to the law of God. For it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would be set free from the law of God. And remember his audience in Nazareth that he's talking to, these very conservative Jewish community who would see all of life through the lens of law. You have to obey the law. You have to obey the law. Your, your salvation is dependent upon the law. It's upon the law. And Jesus is going to say something here that he's come to set people free from that. In fact, he's going to give them a recovery of sight. He's going to open their eyes. He's going to open their eyes from the prison that they live in. You see, most people don't realize in their depravity that they live imprisoned. I hear people all the time come to me and say, Jeff, if what you're saying is true about this holy and this sovereign God, he's just making us into robots. I've got bad news for you. Without Christ, you're the robot. You're imprisoned to your sin. In fact, as Augustine said, I cannot not sin. But to be set free from the law is to rest in the blessed assurance of the Holy Spirit and to be set free with, captive, with a captivation on the Holy Spirit and a recovery of sight. 
He said the oppressed. He's talking here about those who are crushed, those who are downtrodden. You're beat up by this world. You're beat up by this ridiculousness. And you want only to live to the greater glory of God. And he's here to bring the Lord's favor. This word here means not only acceptance, it means acceptable favor. It means acceptable favor. So if that's Isaiah 61, and that's what he just communicated, section two illuminates for us in verses 20 through 22, I'll say A, part of it. It's the point. He brings the point out first. And the point is is that this prophecy is now fulfilled and that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at what he says. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, listen to these words, today, this moment, right here, right now, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. What he's saying is that this is not an interview. You're not trying to determine whether I'm the Messiah or not. I'm telling you that Isaiah 61 and that prophecy of the Messiah to come, I'm that guy. But look how they react. This is section three, verses 22b. This is where doubt comes in. Doubt comes from the asking God to prove himself. Doubt comes in when we ask God to prove himself before we believe. We're going to see a series and a sequence that Jesus is going to say here because he wants to draw their attention to this point. Because look what they say. They say, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. This phrase that, he, that they opened with is a phrase of doubt. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a phrase that is talking about Yeah, I like what you're saying, but wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? How could he possibly be the Messiah? This is the kid that was raised in our neighborhood. And although he's about 30 now, he's a really smart dude and he's all these different things, but isn't that Joseph's son? You see, he was too common for them. The term that they're using is a term of indifference. That's neat, and it's wonderful what you're saying, and we're really proud of you. You're doing a bang-up job. However, you're Joe's son from the neighborhood. And then he says, Jesus says to him, you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. This phrase means Save your own reputation by proving. By proving what you spoke is true. Here's your opportunity. If you're really the Messiah, then save yourself. Prove it. 
show me. They're from Nazareth, not Missouri, right? The show me state. But the request that is implied here is that what we have heard that you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. This is the equivalent of saying, yeah, no, if you're that guy, and I've heard the reports of all these incredible things that you're doing, but, you know, go ahead, do it. Dance for me, monkey, make it happen. Show me. Jesus simply replies, no, repro- no prophet is, is, is not acceptable in his own hometown. You see, we would better liken ourselves to a complete stranger. If Jesus had never been met by all these men in his youth and his growing up, there would be more opportunity for them to say, yeah, maybe he is, maybe he is. Let's, let's get behind him because I like what he's saying. I like what's coming out of his mouth. But man, we all struggle so much with the people we know the best, don't we? We can be as polite as all politeness can be in the worst day of our life where we're snapping at our spouse, talking to our children down, and then a stranger walks by and suddenly a smile comes in. Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. But they're not accepting him. They're rejecting him. I've broken this last section of asking or asking God to prove himself into three parts, and that is in 25 and 28, the call here is to be faithful. The call is to be faithful. It's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit always acts first, that the idea of regeneration precedes faith. I don't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't make myself become the person who believes, but the Holy Spirit comes into me and reveals the glory of God in a new way. As he's just said in Isaiah 61, that he's going to reveal, make the blind to be able to see. But it's also important that we understand that faith itself precedes any miracles. You think of the people throughout scripture, the woman of hemorrhaging that wanted to be healed, it was her faith to reach out and touch the cloak of Jesus. We see the act of faith before the miracle takes place. This true belief in a holy God. You see, a miracle of God is an extraordinary um, or unnatural, unnatural meaning as we understand nature, um, event that reveals and confirms a specific message through God's mighty work. Some of us may be praying for miracles for health. Some of us may be praying for miracles for family or friends or just situations. But while those who receive healing are always relieved by the miracle of God of their physical ailments, the stated purpose of the miracle is rarely ever the simple alleviation of our physical suffering. There's no question that we receive benefit from miracles of God working in our life. But the miracle of healing always points to a greater truth, namely that Jesus is the Son of God with authority. When he casts out demons, his authority over them is 
emphasized. When, his, when he heals on the Sabbath, his authority as the Lord of the Sabbath is emphasized. And likewise, many of the miracles emphasize Jesus' authority over nature itself, the walking of water for both him and Peter. I want you to have something to think about when it comes to miracles this week, this weekend. Miracles themselves do not cause faith. Miracles don't cause your faith. Miracles confirm your faith. Miracles are not God's gift of your desire, but as God's provision of your need and his glory. But look in verse 25, Jesus says, and he's gonna go, he's gonna immediately start to quote 1 Kings in his response to these men in the synagogue. He says, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. He's quoting 1 Kings 17.1. He goes on to say, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. That's the continuation of 1 Kings. And Elijah was sent to none of them. This is 1 Kings 17.9, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. That's 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 14, if you want to look at those. But when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath. Wrath or anger just simply comes from a block goal. So we're going to look at this real briefly to understand what was the block goal What caused such anger that they united on trying to push him out of the city to get him over to where the cliffs were so they could push him off? You see, in 1 Kings, if you want to turn there, go back to your Old Testament, 1, 2 Samuel, then 1 and 2 Kings. But in 1 Kings, it's page 536 in my Bible, if you're... In 1 Kings, when he's quoting verse 4, he, he starts with King, Kings 17, 1. It says, now Elijah, the Tishabite uh, of Tishabi in Gilead, right, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain for three years except by my word. It's important to understand where he's, at, where he's standing at this moment. Because where he's standing is in not a considerably clean community. Gilead was, in fact, this, this community that uh, if you've either watched or read uh, The Handmaid's Tales, is a totalitarian regime that is incredibly abusive to its people. But this is where Elijah is being sent. And in this case, he's going to um, go and communicate that there can be, uh, there's going to be a great famine. And he's told to go to a particular place. And in this, you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded and the ravens to feed you there. 
This is the story where the ravens are gonna bring meat and they're going to bring food every single day during this great famine to protect him while he has water. This is in fact God working in a way. But the requirement of faith was to trust him enough to abandon the comforts of where he's at and go into the wilderness, so to speak, to a particular brook where God would provide for him for three and a half years. And God did. But he had to trust God first. We see in verse 26, 1 Kings 17, 9, this is where he, where he says, uh, I'll start in 8, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. You're gonna enter into this town, you're gonna enter into this city, and there's going to be a widow there, and that widow's gonna greet you, and I've already, God, commanded her to feed you. So now have faith and go and food will be provided. So he goes. And in this particular case, dealing with a widow who in fact only has enough uh, food left to feed her and her son for one day. But Elijah goes and he communicates with her to make him a cake, to make him food, to make him a meal. And he promises that God will replenish everything that is being used. And so the widow, faithfully listening to God's word, said, I will go, and she made him food. And sure enough, God provided for her as well as for many days. Again, the faithfulness of the widow in God's miracle and his provision going forward. This reminds me so much, I remember when Jill and I were first married, we were just young newlyweds who had not two nickels to rub together. And I remember we were dealing with our first difficulty in our marriage and that was money. And we were out of it. And we were sitting down and we were paying our bills. We're doing everything Dave Ramsey told us to do and we were out of money. And I just, I I remember us wrestling over this this simple thing is, is, well, we have enough to pay our bills and then we would have enough to buy groceries or we can tithe and give to the church. And God just put it upon our heart that we would tithe and go without money to trust God that he'll provide. This isn't a great miracle like walking on water or anything like that, but in God's incredible provision, to faithfulness, what we saw happen is literally the next day we're walking and this couple who barely knew us at all said, I don't know why, but God put it upon our heart here today to just give you guys this. And they gave us a a card uh, for $200 for the grocery store. Have faith. Let God take care of the rest. We didn't ask for that. We needed that. Second Kings, a little bit to your right, you see this story of Naaman. Naaman, of course, in 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 for 2 Kings 5, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. So he's not a Jewish man, not an Israel. 
is a great man with his master and his high favor because in him Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Oh, to be king and to be a leper. It's real simple. It was put upon him to have faith in God and the faith that he would be challenged with is you're gonna have to go to the Jordan and you're gonna have to dunk yourself in the Jordan seven times and then I will cleanse you. So I've gotta go well over here into an enemy territory. Why can't I just go to the river in my park? And it was his assistant who kept pleading with him, but God has said that if you do this, he will cleanse you and he does it in faith, and God cleansed him. You see, that's what angered the men in the synagogue. You see that Jesus would come to the oppressed, whether you are Jewish or Gentile. That the requirement wasn't the obedience to the law, but it was faith in him as the Messiah. They're hot. This rejection in 28, when they heard things, all the synagogues were filled with wrath and they rose up and they drove him out out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Jesus not only proclaimed himself to be God, to be the Messiah, but I came to set the captives free. And oh, guess what? You're the captives because you're trying to live by the law and I've come to set you free. They were filled with such wrath. But look at part three here, what Jesus does. He just walks away. Right in their midst, but passing through their midst as they're getting ready to push him off this cliff, he just walks right through the middle of them and he went away. Because it's not his time. He has a ministry to go forward with. The question that it leads us with, if Jesus were here and he was interviewing you, are you good at what you do? Can he trust you? Do you genuinely care about him as an individual? You see, our problem in humanity is we're a no to all three of those questions. But Jesus came for you anyways. Because he's good. Because he can be trusted. And because he does genuinely care about you. He not only loves you, he likes you. This is the most high God. And you, if you have not given your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, you're in an interview to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have no credentials, you have no pedigree, you have nothing to offer him, you have merely rabbit ears for pockets, there is nothing that you can possibly give him that would satisfy him, but the faith that God is putting in you to believe on him, to trust him, to trust his plan, his solution. Christ has proclaimed himself to be the anointed one. And Christ has proclaimed the gospel to be for all nations. 
for those who will place their faith in him. What Jesus was saying to the Jews in Luke 4 by reading this, Isaiah 61, is that have faith in me. Have faith in me, Jesus is saying. You see, because this is true. Without faith in Christ, you are the poor, the destroyed, the broken. Without faith in Christ, you are the captives with no liberty, imprisoned by this body of death. Without faith in Christ, you are the blind without any sight, and you cannot see the Messiah that is standing before you at that very moment and at this very moment. Through his word, Without faith in Christ, you are the oppressed. You are the downtrodden, dependent upon your righteousness to fulfill the law rather than his. Without faith in Christ, you are without the Lord's favor and you are not standing favorable before him. Look to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. There is not one thing in this world that is not about Jesus. Everything. Would you have such faith in him that it matters not what it costs you? Think about that. To trust a God so much that I will not be turned, I will not be stirred, I will not delay, I will not yield to anything else other than the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, today as a family, we get to take communion. To remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. That he and he alone has set us free from the law if we would but walk in his spirit rather than our fleshly desires. There was no interview that day. He wasn't applying to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Commanding us to follow him, to remember him. So as you take your your communion today, we start with the bread. You know, on that night, on that night when he was betrayed, not just by Judas, but frankly by all of us, he took that bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Every time you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. And on that same night, he took the cup and he said, this, this is the new covenant in my blood. The blood that was shed so that you can walk eternity with him. He took this cup and he asked us to drink it in remembrance of him. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you now in remembrance of you. I pray that your spirit would work in us in such a way that we would
sing with every breath of life we have to the glory of you. Lord, we ask that as you bring miracles every day in our lives, that we would not see them as us, but that we would see them as exclusively about your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, he is Lord of all. Let's not find ourselves like those in Nazareth interviewing him for his job, but let's trust him for he is God. Amen? We have prayer warriors down here who are here to pray with and for you. We have our follow Jesus. If this is a day where you just feel like, man, today's the day that I'm just gonna commit to wholeheartedly following him, go back and talk to one of us back there. Let us help you. Don't be ashamed of it. Just come and and let us pour into you. Let us help you. Let us give you a guide. Let us give you a mentor. Let us give you something to help you in your pursuit of God's holiness to follow Jesus Christ. And this Thursday, let's be known as a church that has a culture of prayer. Let's gather to pray for our nation together as a family. And let's glorify this God and our faith in him, that he and he alone can bring a revival to this horrible land. To God be the glory. I love you guys. Minister to one another. We'll see you next week.